All right, why don't you guys stand? Welcome to LCC. We are excited to be here with you. We've got a song we've sang a bunch around here, but if you're new, we want to introduce it to you. It's called Eres Fiel. Some of you might know we, a little bit of it is in Spanish, which is super, super exciting, but we want to invite you to sing along with us no matter what. Here we go. And all the glory goes to God, our Father. Amen. Hey, good morning. Buenos dias. Hey, thank you so much for being here with us. If you can't tell, we are pumped and excited to be with you on this Sunday morning. If this is your first Sunday here, welcome. Bienvenidos. We are happy to have you here with us. Uh, our services will look a little bit different for the coming weeks as we're still working on our auditorium. If you haven't heard, there was a bit of a fire back in July. You can ask me after the service. It's a long story. It wasn't me, though. I promise. It wasn't me. Uh, but our goal is to be back in our auditorium as soon as possible. But until then, we want you to embrace the uniqueness and closeness that is having our services in this lobby. <laughs> I think we can all agree that it is different while we are here. Uh, and on my list of things to announce, it's, it's, it says that I'm ask, supposed to ask you guys to move closer. But honestly, I don't know if there's any more room. You guys are amazing. Isn't it cool how not just Sunday mornings, but God, our Father, brings us together. It doesn't matter what we look like or what we sound like, what language we speak, but God can bring us together and unite us as one body in Christ. Uh, in some ways, being this close to each other actually reminds me of our small groups, which, again, if you're new or if you haven't heard, we have small groups around here. It's part of our church's identity. We meet on Sundays. All of our groups come together on Sundays and we worship. We hear teaching. It's awesome. But then during the week, we encourage everybody to find a small group. We even call them small group families because like families, we just, you share, we disciple each other, we bring each other closer to Christ. It's awesome. If you are not in a small group or this is the first time you're hearing about it, we want to invite you, go on our website, mylcc.info, that's mylcc.info so you don't forget, and look up what times and places our small groups meet. I'm sure any small group would love to have you there. They're pretty great. I know I'm biased, but they're pretty great. Uh, so we value community here. That is a big part of who we are. It's even part of our name, Life Community Church. Uh, we value how God works in us when we meet in community. And so we just want to invite you this next song to leave room and invite the Holy Spirit to come into this place and change us. You know, it doesn't matter how we come, but it's amazing what can happen when we give the Holy Spirit room come into our lives and change. Oh, Lord, we, we praise you this morning. Lord, you know, you know how our hearts desire to be in that auditorium. With those big screens, big sound system, electric guitar. And God, that is, it's all good stuff, but... Lord, we thank you for this moment to be able to hear each other's voices. God, we thank you for that. We love you this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Before you sit down. Aha. <laughs> hey, we're going to keep worshiping the word in just a minute. But... Um, I'd like you to introduce yourself, somebody around you, say hello, okay? We've been close, it's awesome. And when you do, here's what I, I want you to tell them something. You can change your job tomorrow. You get one day to do a job, any job you want. 
for one day, but you're you. Like, I want to play in, the, in Major League Baseball, but I can't at, at this stage of my life, okay? So you can, but you, can do, you can do anything within your capacity. You can call your shot. You can pick your job. Say hello. Introduce yourself. Tell somebody your name and tell them what job you would do tomorrow if you could just do anything you want to do, okay? Go for it. All right, all right, good morning, good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. Have a seat, what did you hear? <laughs> okay, that's, I, I thought so, someone said CEO of Amazon. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. <clears throat> what, what did you hear? I heard, I heard somebody said CEO of Amazon and then you could retire on Tuesday. Game the system, what's that? <laughs> what? Egyptologist. Okay, all right. What else did we hear? What else do you want to do? A doctor. A doctor. One day. Just one day. Okay. Auto mechanic. I'll be honest. I see some like delivery trucks out. And I'm like that. Some days looks really good to me. Just just driving stuff around. Um, so any, anybody? Did anybody hear like? No, I'm good with my job. I'm just gonna go do what I do. Come, okay, a couple. Okay, a couple people. Hey, we are. Um, we are in this series, um, we're in this series called First Things First, where we're looking at the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, and, and it's first things first because it's not just the first things that come along in the scriptures, but it's the first things that God tells us about himself and the way that, that he has made the world and made us to relate to him and to, to live and move in our world. Okay? So it's first in that he tells us about them first, but it's also first in the sense of, of like first priority, like, like things that we need to know before we get, we get deeper in. And, and so far, so far, this is, this is the fourth week, but so far we've looked at these three things. Okay? The first thing we learn about God is that, that he, in, 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 um, in creation, God brings light and order and filling. Like that's, that's what he did in, in, in creation. He brought light and order and filling. And the second thing that, that we, we got from this section, also from Genesis chapter one, is that, that God made us, he made mankind in his image. Of everything in creation, everything in creation, it's, it's humans, it's people, it's us, that we are the ones that are made in his image. The rest of it gives us hints at what he's like. But, but humans, people are made like him. And so, and, and then, the, then last week we discussed God made rest. Sabbath is the word, but God made rest for mankind, okay? He, he didn't need it himself. He made rest for our benefit, for our good. And, and today we're gonna, we're gonna turn that around because we looked at rest last week and this week we're gonna look at work. We're gonna be in Genesis chapter two and we're gonna look at, at, at work and what is it and, and, and specifically um, just, just what God like, uh, where did work come from? 
Um, what does God say about it in these, in these first intro, introductory moments to him? Okay, what did he say? Now, here's, here's just the truth about work. Outside of sleep, okay, and in some of our cases, maybe even more than sleep, you will do nothing in your life more than you will work. Whatever, whatever job God has called you to, inside the home, outside the home, like, you will do nothing more than you will work, okay? It would, it would be an awful shame. It would be an awful shame if we looked at the work in our life and, and segmented it off and said, that's something that God's not concerned with. That's an area where I just do what I'm gonna do and, and, and then there's other areas of my life that God does care about. He cares about my family. He cares about, about just my, my, my personal character. He cares about all that other stuff but not my work. It would be a shame because, because here's the truth. If you, um, if you work from you know, sort of average working years, say let's, uh, let's say college and then into um, standard retirement age, you work from age 22 to 67. And I'm gonna give you four weeks of vacation every year, okay? For most of us, that's, unless you know, you're in the education game. Like that's pretty generous, right? Four, four weeks of vacation. Um, and you work 40 hours a week, okay? So you put in those 45 years, 40 hours a week, 48 weeks a year, you will work 86,400 hours in your life, your adult life. 86,400 hours. Quick math. Anybody want to know how many minutes that is? How many moments? It's north of 5 million, okay? 86,400 hours of work in our lives. It would be foolish of us to say or to make any kind of assumption without saying that those 86,400 hours, God doesn't care about them. That they're, that they're insignificant if when we prioritize and compare them to other things. That God's really interested in other things in our life, but work is just up to you. It's, it's what you want to do. It's how you want to do this. It's, it's, it's impossible for us to look at that section of our life, that segment, that, that huge percentage of time and say that God is indifferent to it, okay? It's also impossible to look at the scriptures and see that, uh, that as a reality as well. So if you have your Bible and you wanna to turn to Genesis chapter two, um, we're just gonna read, we're gonna begin in verse four, and we're gonna read through several verses here um, as, as we go through the, 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 the account. Now, there's a couple things that, well, let's, let's read this first verse. Genesis chapter two, verse four. Okay, and it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Okay? Now, we've been looking for three weeks, we've been looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 3. And it's, it, is, um, it is reasonable to look at that and say, like, well, I thought that that was the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Okay? Um, and the fact of the matter is, um, we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. And, and however this was put together, however the scriptures came to be through God's providence and the inspiration of the Spirit, um, right here in, in chapter 2, verse 4, we get this line that says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth. That's the first time, that's the first of 11 times in the book of Genesis that that phrase occurs or a, a close variation of that phrase. 11 times in the book of Genesis, it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth, okay? Or this is the account of Adam, this is the account of Abraham, this is the account of, okay? It's a way in the book of Genesis to sort of uh, like note that there's like a transition in the story, that there's, there's a, kind of a, a new chapter to the story of Genesis, okay? And so whatever else is going on, we know that in Genesis chapter two here, 
We have, we have the, the seven days of creation, including the, the, the creation of that rest, Sabbath, in chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. But here we have something that's going to be a little bit different. Okay? It's going to be a little bit different. And, and what do we do with that different? Well, you know, it's, I don't think we make a big deal out of it. Okay? But it's going to be, it is, as we read it, it's going to sound a little different from chapter 1. It's going to tell us this is how the earth was created, but that story is going to be a little bit different from the way it told us in chapter 1 the earth was created. Now, does that mean that it is a different story? I don't know. Does it mean that it's like a retelling of the same story? Maybe. Does it, is, it, is this like a zooming in on particular portions of the story? Some scholars would say that's what's going on. The fact of the matter is, okay, um, again, God in his providence, God in his good work of giving us the scriptures, put Genesis chapter 2 right up next to Genesis chapter 1. And they, rest assured, they're not contradictory, they're complementary. They tell us more about what's going on, okay? So, so not in conflict with one another, but in complement to one another. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, read again. This is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And it goes on. And it says, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. When the Lord God, <clears throat> then the Lord God, formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Okay? Let's check that out. Streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, but then in verse 7, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. There were streams and springs. But remember where we started this in Genesis chapter 1, that, that God is a God who forms, right? He takes, he takes chaos, he takes raw material, and he forms it into something good and meaningful. And that work goes on here in chapter 2 as well. God, from the earth, God took the material and he formed the man. Okay? He formed the man. And then it says he breathed life into him. What a picture, right? What a picture. The first, like, you know, CPR. The first rescue breathing. He breathed life. So that, so that our very life, the life of mankind, is the very life of God breathed into us. This is a powerful idea that carries throughout all the scriptures. Our life is his life shared, right? So, so it tells us he formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Keep reading, verse eight. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he'd formed. So remember in, in chapter one, the things God does, he brings light, okay? And then he takes the, the, the material and he forms it. But then what does he do? He takes empty things and he fills them. And that's still happening here in chapter two. There was a garden and he put the man in it. He filled that garden with this man. Verse nine, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, okay? So, so this garden is empty, he puts the man in it and then, and then in, in chapter two, and then the order of events, he starts to grow the trees, the vegetation right? All kinds of, of produce. And it, it says the trees were good to look at. They were beautiful. What God made was beautiful. They were pleasing to the eyes. 
but also they were tasty, okay? They were good for food, okay? They were good. It was good, good to look at, good for food. It was beautiful and, and, and tasty. It filled, and then it, it identifies these two trees, right? It identifies these two trees. One is the tree of life, okay? The tree of life. I would love to tell you that the scripture is just full of references to the tree of life. It just, as a matter of fact, is not, okay? It's gonna be referenced here in Genesis chapter two and chapter three, Okay? It's going to be referenced four times in the book of Proverbs where the tree of life is likened to the wisdom of God. Four times. And then it's not referenced again until the very last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 22 where it, it talks about the future kingdom and, and, and the, the tree of life being planted by a river in the, in the future kingdom. And people are eating from all the, the produce of, of God's richness in the future kingdom. So we don't know much about it. Okay? We don't know much about it, but it tells us that God put the tree there. And then it tells us about the, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you think we know little about the tree of life, there's even less in the scriptures specifically about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? In fact, it's only identified by this particular name here in Genesis chapter 2. It's referenced in Genesis chapter 3, but not by name, okay? when, when, which we're going to look at in coming weeks. Okay? So I don't want to say too much. But it's referenced there in Genesis 3, but not by name. It says, it says there's a tree in the garden that you're not supposed to eat from. Okay? So this is kind of it on these trees. This is what we get about them. And all that to say, like, I don't want to say more than is there. Okay? We have these two trees. We have these two trees. One, this tree of life, and then this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a good deal of mystery around it. Good deal of mystery around it. So keep, keep reading with me. So it's, then it says, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. I don't know where those places are. In fact, if anyone tells you too confidently that they do, I think they're making it up because those are not referenced anywhere else. Okay? But it tells us about those places, Pishon and Havilah, the river Pishon and Havilah. Verse 12, it says, the gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there, okay? Um, then it says this in verse 13, the name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. Another place that we don't know anything about, okay? So no idea where those places are, okay? But then it says in verse 14, the name of the third river is the Tigris. I've heard that one before. It runs on the east side of Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. We know about those, okay? And in fact... We can point those out on a map, right? Okay? <clears throat> if you're here for the maps, stick around for the C.S. Lewis quote. Okay. <laughs> so this is, this is uh, you know, the, 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 the Near East, okay? You see the Mediterranean on the left, Red Sea at the bottom, okay? And you see this, this group of rivers in the middle, okay? This group of rivers in the middle, one is the Tigris and one is the Euphrates, okay? Now, I'm also going to say this to you, Okay? Genesis, this is going to come as a shock, but Genesis <clears throat> chapter 2 comes before Genesis chapter 6, okay? And in Genesis chapter 6, there's this big flood event, okay? So let's just say that some of this geography may be different from what it was at the beginning. Let's just say that maybe some of the rivers are not quite what and where they were at the beginning, and let's just say that, again, there's some mystery around these things. So the takeaway is this. The hunt for the Garden of Eden is futile. Okay? 
It might be up here, okay? It might be down here. I, who, I, who knows, okay? Side, that's, side note. Let's, we're going to keep reading, okay? Done with that. Done with the map. Verse 15, okay? <clears throat> that was mostly for Matt Dickey. Okay, verse 15. <laughs> the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. It restates this, right? We saw this already, that God took the man and put him in the garden. Now in verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. There's our second reference. And quite frankly, by name, the last one in the scriptures, to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? If you eat of it, you will surely die. You'll certainly die. Okay? More, more on that. That's, that's, that is not this Sunday's. But we're going to look at this, okay? We want to look at this passage. And what we find here in, 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 uh, in these last couple of verses that we just read, okay? Verses 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded, um, uh, sorry, the Lord put in the garden, to work it, take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Look at what God gives, right? He gives freedom. The story of God's work with man is a story of freedom. All of these things you've been given, they're all yours. Eat from them with one limitation. Okay? True freedom is not unbounded choice. True freedom is choice within the goodness of God, considering the limitations that he's given for our flourishing. Right? True freedom, get this, true freedom is not unbounded choice. That is bondage. We know this, right? We know it when we have too many choices. Do you ever have decision fatigue? Do you ever have choice fatigue? Do you ever eat at the Cheesecake Factory? <laughs> right? Have you seen that menu? It's longer than War and Peace. It's not unbounded freedom that God gives, but it is freedom. You are free to choose from all the good things that God puts in front of you. There's so many, and he's given us opportunity and freedom and, and volition and agency to choose. And he says, but to, but to really flourish, there's also some boundary. There's also some boundary. There are things in the world that aren't to your benefit. There are things in this world that, that aren't for your consumption, that aren't for you to just uh, 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 to accumulate. So freedom Freedom with a limit. So to recap. So to recap what we just read. God takes an empty place and he forms a man and gives him life. He breathes life into him. He puts the man in that empty place, in that garden. <clears throat> God provides all kinds of good food for that man with only the one limitation. Right? With only the one limitation. Now, it's... It's tempting for us, and it sounds nice, and we tend to focus on the perfection of it. And it, and it, and it, was. it was. It was good. It was right. The conditions, the conditions for, for the man were, were, were perfect. They were established for him and for his goodness. But let's look at verse 5 again. Let's look at verse 5 again. Go back to the beginning of this section. Because verse 5 says something that I find a little sobering. 
It says, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. There's four negatives in that one verse, right? Four negatives. Let that sink in a minute. God had, God had created. It, was, it existed. But it wasn't done. It wasn't everything. It wasn't complete. It was missing some things. There was more to come. So there's... There's four negatives, but it's really three things. There, there, were, there, was no, there were no shrubs, plants. There was nothing that would sustain life. There was no rain. There was no, no none of this, the, the weather cycle to, to the, the no plants, no shrubs, no rain, none of that. But that last bit, I think, is what this is about, right? The conditions weren't right yet. It wasn't, it wasn't complete because there was no one to work it. God made it. It was in place. Like the stuff was there. But it wasn't complete yet because there was no one and no one specifically to work the ground. You see, it's strikingly negative, right? This verse, if, if we sort of like, if we sort of step back from maybe the way we think about, about the I, I, idyllic, you know, Eden conditions, what the scriptures are saying about it is that it, it, it wasn't done. It was negative. It, it's spoken of in the negative because it was missing someone to work it. Now, could God have just like, you know, he spoke it all into being. Couldn't he also have just spoken it into flourishing? Of course he could have. He's God. He could have established it, set it up to, to run itself in any way that he saw fit. But in his perfect creation, there was a little bit more to go, right? And it, and it meant it needed people. It needed someone to work it. And so here's how God solves the problem down in verse 15, right? So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it, to take care of it. He puts man in the garden. This was God's plan. It was God's plan from the beginning. One of the first things we find out about God, right, is that he creates, but part of that creation plan was to put humans, to put a man in the garden to work, to work. And this is before we tend to think about work only in the negative, right? We tend to think about work only as this bad thing that we have to tolerate so that we can get to the good stuff in life, Right? I've got I've to slave away all day so that I can get home, make dinner, sit down, and absorb whatever's on Netflix or Apple TV or whatever game is on, right? We tend to think about our work in that way. But it's, in, in, in the order of creation, it's the exact opposite, right? It's the exact opposite. That God made the world and it wasn't good without work. It needed someone to come into it to work it and to take care of it. There was a job to do. It's tempting for us to think about Eden as, as a life of leisure, 
that, that Adam just walked around all day plucking the finest of fruits from whatever came by and, and laying next to the stream and taking long naps, but that's not what's revealed to us in the scriptures. What we're told in the scriptures is that, that in the creation of this world, like a missing piece of the creation was work. Was work. And so we find out when we look at when we look at um, God and His creative act and, and the creation for work, uh, uh, the creation of work, we're going to look at why. Why did He do this? What's the purpose? And the first thing we find out is that the purpose is for for the care of the creation, care for the earth. He put Him in the in the in the garden to work it and to care for it. God gives us work to care for this world. You see, that's part of going back to to our previous weeks. That's part of our bearing His image. What is it that God did? He went to work, right? There were conditions. It was dark. It was chaotic and it was empty. And what does God do? He goes to work and he fills those things and he brings order to them and he brings light. And then it tells us in Genesis chapter one, he made us in his image to do what? To go care for it, to work it, to fill it, to bring order to the chaos. It's what we do. We partner with God in the work that he began in creation. So the first purpose that we find, the first thing that we find is that the purpose of work is to care for creation. And then at the end of the passage, the second thing we find on, on, on the purpose for this is this. He says, you're free to eat of any, truf, any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for, for, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The second purpose statement is this. All that produce served a purpose. Everything that God was producing in the garden, it served a purpose. What was the purpose of it? to feed the man that was there. The second reason that, we, that, that God gives us work is to provide for us, is to provide for us. Like the, the man, wasn't just, he wasn't just like walking around fighting boredom all the time. God made mankind for work. He made mankind for work. He made, it so that, so he made work so that we could have our needs met. Could God, could, could God have just like dropped like, you know, a, a, a tray of, of, of delicious food in front of Adam every day, like some sort of like cosmic uh, waiter? Of course he could have. And at certain times in history, uh, in God's work, uh, historical work with his people, he did just drop f- food in front of them and all they had to do was gather it. That does happen. Dan referenced that last week. But that's not what we're told here in Genesis. What we're told here in Genesis is that, no, you've got to work it and take care of it. And by doing so, it's going to produce for you and provide for you. And so we find that in the story. And there's one more reason for work. And, and remember, this series is first things first. So, so we don't just find this out first in order, but we find it out that if it's true, it's going to be true throughout the scriptures, the, the, the different things we find about work. And I think there's another reason that we work. And there's a passage that we look at a fair amount around here because it speaks to the kind of church that we want to be. It's in Acts chapter 4, and I'll put it up here for you so you can read it with me. It says, all the believers, this is Acts chapter 4, this is, the earliest of the church, right? This is, with, this is measured in days after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. All the believers were, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, and work in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, when those who owned land or houses sold them, <clears throat> brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. You see, 
there's this pattern that goes on in the early church that, that they did not consider their possessions, they did not consider the produce of their labor their own. Did you catch this? That what they had, what they had, come, uh, what they had accumulated, what they had gathered wasn't just for them to have it, to hang on to it, so they could feel secure when they go to bed at night, knowing that tomorrow was taken care of. It wasn't just for them to like, to like grow their retirement fund so that someday they could like, you know, slip off to the beach and have a nice little bungalow there and, and while away the days. No, their perspective on all of these things was this. <clears throat> what they had belonged to others. If anyone who had need, it was theirs. And so the third purpose and work that we find in the scriptures is that, that we work so that we're able to share with those in need. This is, this is the loving my neighbor portion of loving God and loving neighbor that we're told about in the scriptures. I do my work not just so that I can have, I can have my needs met. I do my work not so that just so that I can be fulfilled in it. I do my work because God has put me in a place to try and use me as a way to meet the needs of others. That's the proper order of the purpose of God's, uh, the work that God's given us. And so we see that the, the purpose in the scriptures for work, to care for the earth, this, this is God's good creation. And it's, it is given to us to care for it, to work it, to, to, to take care of it. To provide Work helps us to provide. And finally, work is to share with those in need. Now, that's not a complete list, okay? I, I get it. There, if we, if we, there's no clock in here. I don't know if you noticed that. If I could go on, I could add things to this list. I have a clock down here, though. So. But we could go on, right? The, the list of reasons to work could be very, very long. But I'll tell you what you won't find in the scriptures. Let me go through a few things we won't find. We do find these things. What we don't find is that, that we work so that we can find our purpose in life. That's, our work does not provide our purpose in life. God provides the purpose in life. God is the purpose in life. And in doing our work, we largely fulfill that purpose, which is to honor him, to love him with our good works. You understand? So this, this hunt, we have a cultural idea that if I'm unhappy in my work, the problem is my job, okay? The problem is my job. And I'm not here to tell you that there aren't certain jobs that are better for you than other jobs. There are certain things that I'm a bad fit for, okay? But the purpose of work was not so that we could find fulfillment. It's God who fills our lives, right? Our work is a reflection of his filling in us to, when we go out and do it. So it's not really to find our purpose, to, to, to find fulfillment. It's certainly not to accumulate wealth for ourselves, right? Jesus warns about this, the rich fool, right? The story of the rich fool. He has a, he has a, a good harvest and he's gonna build bigger barns. And what's said about him? You fool. You can build all the big barns you want tonight, your life, you're gonna lose your life. Then what good is all that, Right? It's not to accumulate. That's not the purpose of our work. <clears throat> the purpose of our work is not to leave a legacy. It's not to leave a legacy. It's not to, it's not to, 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 to have like, uh, people remember us for the good work we did. 
if that happens, that's a, that's a byproduct of doing things the right way. But it's not the purpose of our work. You see, our work is given by God to care for his world. And that, by and large, means those around us. <clears throat> Let me, um, I'm going to close with this idea. And I say close not to tell you that I'm almost done, <clears throat> but because it's, it is a transition to the last thing we're going to talk about. <clears throat> we are almost done. We use this framework around here from time to time. Maybe, I'm sorry if that isn't totally clear, but, but this framework from time to time that gives like just sort of four categories or four chapters, we'll say, in the work of God. It's not unique to us. There's a lot of folks that, that understand the story of God's work in this way. But it follows this order that God creates and what he creates is good. But then man sins and our sin corrupts the goodness of God's creation. Okay? But then God makes a way for us to, to find redemption in that, to make the wrong of sin, to make it right in the here and now. Okay? By faith, God provides a way through faith in his son for, for those prior to the coming promise of his son, for those of us living now, the, the, the <clears throat> belief in, in Jesus as the promise of God to, to make things right. And so when we, when we move by faith, we can redeem what is the world we live in. And ultimately, we believe in glorification. That's the one I know it's hard to see. Sorry, glorification. But, but we will wind up, okay, back in, a, in, a, like, in, in the conditions of, of Eden, of the original creation. But we find ourselves living in this, this blue box, this box of redemption, right? This period of time where the effects of sin are, are in our life. And so, so when it comes to work, God put the man in the garden to work it and keep it, and it was good. There were, there were no thorns and thistles, as we're going to read in Genesis chapter 3. But today, our work has thorns and thistles. It has, it has difficulty attached to it. It's become labor. There's challenges that, that, that shouldn't exist because I'm sinful, and I make other people's jobs harder just by being there. And so do you. But there's also just conditions of the world. There's, 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 there's bumps and bruises along the way that, that shouldn't be there, but they are because of the reality of sin. But when we, by faith, approach it and move into it, trusting God for the outcomes, trusting God to define the purpose, it changes the way we work. It brings, it brings heaven to earth in our work. And so, let me close, really this time, close with a thought experiment, okay? You might work in an office, and you might look at your work and say, what in the world am I doing here? This doesn't, quote unquote, mean anything to anyone. I push papers, okay? Like, I'm not somebody who's, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not an EMT, Saving lives, I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not a teacher, changing, shaping the future. Maybe you say that, maybe you don't, I don't know. But you might look at what you're doing and say, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? But see, here's the thing, here's the thing. Wherever you work and whatever you're doing, it's just not as simple as like the immediate, right? Because God has made it so that all of our work impacts so many other things. You see, because you're pushing those papers, there are people who are buying homes. There are doctor's offices that are 
functioning and, and helping people heal, okay? There's small businesses that are, that are helping people in their life because you're doing your job. You may not know, you may know some of these, you may not know any of them, I don't know. But because you're doing it, because you're, you're cleaning that building and pushing that broom, you're, people are working in a clean place because you're doing it, right? And it goes out from there, right? Because, <clears throat> because there are people who live in homes and they, and they have families and, and there are schools that exist because of that and, 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 and there, are, there are people who, who are in doctor's offices being, getting healing and, 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 and there's deliveries that are being made and there's transactions taking place and people are cared for because you're doing your work in your position good and right and well, right? You see, God has made it so that our work means something. It means something. We're connected to one another in an intricate web of, of vocation and, and calling and work. And he's made it that way from the beginning. He placed a man in a garden to work it and take care of it. He placed a woman in a classroom to work it and to take care of it. He placed a man in that auto repair shop to work it and take care of it so that people's cars stop and go, right? He placed a, a realtor in, in, in the marketplace so that people have shelter and their rights are protected. Do we understand? God did this so that we can work it and take care of it. The teacher in Ecclesiastes writes this. He says, what do workers gain from their toil? Ecclesiastes is a little dark, okay? <clears throat> Genesis, it's work. In Ecclesiastes, it's toil. He says, what do the workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Look, it's work. <laughs> it's work. It's labor. It's toil. There are hard things. There are thankless days. That's the reality of the world we live in. But then he goes on, he says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Like that web of our interconnectedness is a beautiful thing. We can't see it all. We can't possibly see it all. But it's a beautiful thing. And he set that eternity, like that big picture, it's, it's in us as well because we are the ones who bear his image. My dog does not think about the interconnectedness of her life. The vastness of the interconnectedness of all of our lives and how my work benefits people that I will never meet, that I will never come in contact with. My dog doesn't think about that. She thinks squirrel and kill. It's a two-track mind, okay? <clears throat> Which is a public service, but that's another, another, for another time. Okay, But we, we, do we get this? He has set eternity in our hearts, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We can, we, you will never see the fullness, this side of, the, of, the, of eternity, you will never see the vastness of the web of interconnectedness because you have faithfully done the work that God has put in front of you to do. You will not see all the, the implications of it. It's too big. It's just too big. 
even when it feels too small to continue doing it. Do we understand? So the teacher in Ecclesiastes goes on, he says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and look at this, find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. Do, a, do your work, be happy. Do good, do good work. And God will provide. Look, his gift is satisfaction in it. It's his gift. It's not our job to go around trying to find satisfaction in our job. It's our job to move into it happily, right? To do good in it and allow him to bring satisfaction. God's using those 86,000 hours of work. He's using them, right? It, that, that work is an instrument of his grace in our lives to shape us into the image of his son. It's, it's not just something we have to get out of the way so we can get on to other important things. The author, writer, Stanley Hauerwas says it this way, the most uh, determinative moral formation, so the, the most important things we can do to shape our souls, our, our moral life, that most people have in society is when they learn to play baseball or basketball, more baseball than basketball there, but they learn to play baseball, basketball, to quilt, to cook, or learn to lay bricks. God is using the, our work to shape us. Don't write off those hours. Don't wish them away. Don't spend your life wishing that it was something else. Work, whatever God has put in front of you, whatever that work is, work as if you were created for it because you know what? You were. You were created for the work that's in front of you. No matter what you're doing, your neighbor, they need your good work. Will you pray with me? God, thanks for today. Thanks for, for bringing us together and I thank you for the work that you began in creation. Um, we confess that um, it's hard, and oftentimes when it's hard, I know I want to quit. I want to give up. I want to throw in the towel and just say I'm, I'm over it, and how can, I, how can I do the least amount of work for the greatest level of pleasure? And God, um, I, just, I just confess that that our, that, that my, that our approach to, to work is, um, is suspect at best, and so we need your eyes to see it, to see it more clearly. God, we know we can't, we can't hold all of it. We can't see the, the, the completeness of your plan in the big picture, but we know you've got one, and, and we ask that you would increase our trust in that. Would you show us enough of what you're doing to, to, to increase our faith, to continue what we're doing? And God, we, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for all the, the good work that you have done. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us to be part of your family. We want to live this week your way. We want to find the purpose that you have for us and we want to do it. We want to reflect the love that you have been given to us since the beginning. We love you and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. It's, it's been wonderful worshiping together with you this morning. Uh, before you head out, you can, you can stay standing just a few things. Uh, baptisms are scheduled in late March. We're so excited that we're coming around to
baptisms again. And if you've never been baptized or if you know someone who has never been baptized, come find me. (laughs) Baptism is an amazing act that we as believers get to do as an act of obedience to what God has said, what Jesus said to us before he ascended into heaven. I'm super passionate about it, so if you have any questions, please, please come talk to me or anybody else on staff. There is no better time and place than right here and right now. Uh, We also want to say, please do not move your chairs. I know we did that last week, but you don't have to do that. One thing you can check off your list. And lastly, parents probably don't need me to say this. Don't forget to pick up your kids. We know they're having an awesome time back there. Our kids' life uh, volunteers and staff are fantastic, but make sure to go pick them up over at that door. We will see you all in your small groups. Have a wonderful rest of your week.